Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Chiefs Wire podcast. I'm Ed Easton Jr. On today's Super Bowl special episode, we are counting down to the big game with iconic musician and Chiefs fan Kevin Richardson from the Backstreet Boys, breaking down his favorite players along with special moments from his Super Bowl history. Also, in our Chiefs Wire roundtable, we've assembled an all-star cast of Chiefs Wire members past and present all sharing their viewpoints on the Chiefs and the Buccaneers this Sunday. But first, we start off with Kansas City Chiefs head coach Andy Reid addressing the media during day three of Media Week. Good morning, Andy. Hi, bye. Hey, I, I um, just thinking back a little bit to what, what's, what Steve Spagnolo has been able to do for you, and, and I know it seems like a little while ago now, but can you just Remind us what it was or, or share what it was that made you really think of him at that point and, and the attributes that he was going to bring to you. Yeah, well, I've, listen, I've known Steve forever, and uh, he's been a phenomenal coach in this league. So whether it was defensively or the head coaching uh, stint that he had. So um, I just I think the world of him as a person, but likewise, I respect him like crazy as a as a coach. So. It was really a no-brainer at that point um, uh, to bring him in. We'll go next to Nancy Armour. Go ahead, Nancy. Morning, Andy. Um, You've talked a lot about Patrick and how impressed you've been with his maturity. And I'm wondering, you know, if you could kind of forecast and look out I don't know, 15, 20 years, what kind of influence he can have, not just on the NFL, but overall, given what he's already doing in terms of social justice, investing in the Kansas City community, you know, could you see him reaching a level like LeBron in terms of just influence and impact overall? Yeah, no, absolutely. I I think um, he's got a way about him where he, he, he understands people. Um. And they are um, interested in things that he has to say or back and believe in. So um, I think that's a, that presents yourself with a, a good combination uh, uh, to whatever uh, platform that you want to support or take um, that, that you that you have that. That ability. We'll go next to Neil Reynolds. Go ahead, Neil. Hey, Coach. It's Neil from Sky Sports in the UK. Yes, Neil. Um, you hear a lot of your current players and former players saying you play with Andy Reid, not for Andy Reid. And I wonder if that's a, a big thing for you and if you could maybe talk about some of your approaches and philosophies as a coach. Yeah, sure, um, Neil. So, um, I, I think we all want to be treated a certain way. And, uh, and if not, I know how I like to be uh, treated. And that's um, tell me what I need to do uh, to get better at what I'm trying to uh, 
get accomplished. And, um, and so uh, you don't necessarily have to yell and scream at, at me to get me to do uh, something better. I mean, that, I don't think that's a necessarily the best approach. Um, and then I think after a little while, I know myself, I just would turn that person off and, and probably not listen to anything they said. So, so I kind of go about it that way. I just say, listen, I'm uh, uh, trying to treat people the way I'd want to be treated. And, uh, and I'm a, I, I think uh, whether it's through what I've learned in church or family, I, I think we're here as teachers and, um, and, and that's what I do. So that's how I look at myself as a teacher and, and um, of, in my case, men, uh, young men. Um, and whether it's on the field or off the field, if I can give them any experience uh, to help them um, that I might have had to help them become better uh, players or husbands, whatever, whatever it might be, fathers, uh, I try to do that. Next to Adam Teicher. Go ahead, Adam. Hey, good morning, Andy. I wanted to ask about Darrell Williams. Um, you, you guys have brought in a lot of backs the last couple of years, but Daryl's still around, and he's you're turning to him in some big moments. Now, I know there were some injuries also. What is it about Daryl? Can you can you kind of sum him up? What you like about him, particularly in these big moments? Yeah, that was the only thing that was really holding Daryl back was just uh, <clears throat> being able to stay healthy consistently and he spent so much time rehabbing this past off season, got himself in a great shape, caught a couple breaks. I mean, what you need, I mean, he wasn't, he's always worked hard. It's just, he, he got nicked up. So he, he was able to, for the most part, stay injury free. And, and, um, and, and he put together this season and it's not over yet. He's got one more, one more game left here, but um, he sure has had a, a, a good season uh, to this point. And, um, I, I would tell you, Adam, that <clears throat> he's really a smart football player. So we're seeing it. You see him produce on the field, but we all have confidence in him, uh, whether it's third down blitz protection, whether it's blocking, uh, for another back or, or, uh, you know, you've seen him block for, uh, for Tyreek at times, uh, uh, whether it's out catching a pass, um, uh, he he just has a real a real feel for it and and very instinctive and and likewise uh, very smart. We'll go next to Diana Rossini. But Diana, <clears throat> all right, Diana, we'll come right back to you. Let's go to Therese Paler. Go, Therese. Hey, Coach Reed, how you doing this morning? Good. Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks. Hey, hey, I was just wondering what um. You know, what has Le'Veon Bell brought to you guys? I know there's been, you know, little injuries here, but how has he been handling his role here? Um, and what kind of impact could you see him making in a week? Yeah, you know, I really like him. Uh, I, I like him as a kid, and I I, I like him as a player. Um, he, he brings that veteran experience. He's been the best in the business at what he's done. He's handled this role well. Um, he loves to play. Um uh, and he did listen, he got a little bit nicked up. He's working through that. And, uh, you know, the, he gave us, uh, you know, a few good games in there where we really needed him. And, and, um, you know, if I go back to the New Orleans game and 
kind of putting the icing on the cake there uh, with his run and and so on. So there there have been some real uh, real good production from him um, at, at important times during our season. We'll go next to John Kirk with the Toronto Sun. Go, ahead, John. Hey, Andy. The last 10 Super Bowl winning head coaches have been ages 65, 50, 62, 62, 54, 64, 50, 66, and 65s. And this year will be either 66 or 68, other than the jokes about not being spring chickens. But doesn't that speak to the fact that to succeed in the NFL as a head coach, you've really got to adapt with the times because football changes as far as schematically more than probably every other sport every year, you've really be, got to be on top of that type of, uh, and have that mindset. I was just wondering if you could speak to that. Yeah, well, I'm not quite 66 yet, but I appreciate you advancing me just a little bit. I'm, I'm still part of the Geritol crew, though, and uh, we're, we are a little bit older, and um, I, I, there is experience that comes with that, and I guess they say wisdom with age uh, uh, comes, uh, you know, that comes with it, but um there are a lot of good young football coaches out there and uh, that, that I look forward to seeing continue to grow in this business. I mean, we're, we're lucky to have them in the National Football League. And by chance, you know, we're uh, a few of the older guys have yeah, gotten to this point. Um, and, I, you know, I'd probably attribute that to good players and then a little bit of experience there. And in my case, I'm fortunate to have a heck of a staff, you know, that uh, I've been able to accumulate here and and um, and gather for the last couple of years. So it's uh, we've been um, been very productive that way. We'll go next to Sam Millinger. Go ahead, Sam. Hey, Andy. Um, how you doing? Good, Sam. Thanks. Um, I wanted to ask you about your offensive coordinator. Um, how have you seen? There's been a lot of questions already this week. Um, how have you seen him handle? sort of the frustration of, of not being picked. And, and you've been very outspoken about your support and what you think of him in forms like this, but is, is there anything you can or have been doing sort of behind the scenes to, you know, promote him or find out what's going on? Yeah, well, I, I'll probably have more time to do that. Um, the find out part uh, later here. So once we get through this game, but, um, I had, I did have an opportunity to talk to a lot of the either owners or general managers that, that uh, worked to interview them, presidents, um, so on. So um, I, I'll be curious to hear their comments about uh, how he did or, you know, whatever I, you know, why he wasn't, why he wasn't picked, but uh, I, Eric Bannamy works his tail off and, he is relentless in studying the game. He's relentless um, in, in studying what uh, would be his plan as a head football coach. Um, he, he's, he doesn't, this guy doesn't miss a beat. And he was that way as a player. He's uh, been that way as a coach, whether it was coaching the running backs or now uh, working the offense uh, as a whole, as a coordinator. So, um, I, I don't, I don't understand everything. I'm not, I'm not an owner. I don't sit in those meetings, uh, to interview head coaches, but I, I would just tell you that, um, whoever gets him, whenever they get him, will be very, very lucky. 
For more information on this story and others, head over to ChiefsWire.com and we'll give you all the details you need on the Kansas City Chiefs. Coming up next, the Chiefs Wire Podcast Roundtable. Chiefs Wire Podcast, we are back. Now, this is because it's the Super Bowl, we're doing things a little bit different. We have, similar to the 100th episode, we have Chiefs Wire members from past, present, and yeah, I don't think anybody here from the future. So this is it. We, I, I don't know even, how, how should I even like go around the horn here and introduce everybody? Uh, I think it would be best to start off with uh, Mr. Charles Goldman here, since he knows, he's pretty much brought almost everybody in here. So Charles, I'm going to let you do the honors of just introducing everybody here on this episode. All right. Well, uh, we have former Chiefs Wire managing editor Wesley Roche, who, who, who is the GOAT. He's the man who brought me in here. Uh, we have uh, the man himself, Mr. John Dillon. Oh, how's it going, everybody? <laughs> We've got uh, Mr. Verified himself, Robert Rimson, yeah, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> From- our, our very own producer over at WDAS-TV. Yeah, you know, big things only, you know what I mean? And we have our friend Vincent Nagamps. Oh, my God, I butchered your name there. I'm sorry. From Yahoo Sports. <laughs> and then, of course, we, we have our, uh, our whole roundtable crew here, Ed Easton Jr., uh, Mitch Carney, and Talon Graff. How y'all doing, guys? Doing good. Ready for this game. Fantastic. Ready to beat the Bucks? I hope I didn't forget anyone. I don't (laughs) think I did. I think I got it all. (laughs) Well, Charles, I think you got everybody perfectly, man. This is a huge group. And uh, like you said, it's uh, it's a big game. Obviously, the Super Bowl was this Sunday. Chiefs versus Buccaneers. So let's let's just get it started right off, okay? We're heading into – this is the Super Bowl week. It's unlike any other week. Do you guys believe this will have any effect on the players heading into this game? And I'm going to start with you, Talon, on this one. Yeah, man, look, I think with the Chiefs' experience in the playoffs and the the way they're just – they've been so goal-oriented all season long and the way they've kind of navigated through this unprecedented season that everybody's gone through, um, I think they're primed and ready, and I – wholeheartedly wholeheartedly believe we're about to see a better performance this year than we did uh, in last year's Super Bowl. This Chiefs team is one of the best, I think, and sure, I'm going to be hyperbolic and I don't really care, but this is probably one of the best NFL teams I've ever seen uh, in my short 30 years here. But, um, yeah, man, I'm so stoked to see what happens against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is going to go down as one of the best ones in history, and Chiefs are – they're ready, man. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and agree with Talon here. Um, If they're not – one of the best teams ever they're definitely better than last year's team I'd say uh just because they've got so many more reps under their belt and you can tell playoff experience has played a huge factor this season for them I mean if you just look at how they were able to just completely take it to another gear once the playoffs came like before Mahomes injury in the Browns game they were scoring every drive and then here come the Bills uh the Bills game scoring almost every drive like They've taken it to another level come the playoffs, and, and that experience from last year has made them even
even better than they already were. I'm just going to hop in here too. I think that the, the uniqueness of this week kind of leading up to this game, because last year they, they had the whole spectacle, right? You're, you're out there in Miami, you have all the, the media responsibilities, you have all the, the, the travel a week before they're doing it like a lot different this year. It's almost more like a, a like a regular season road game, right? Um, it, it, they're, they're leaving, I mean, like the night before the game or something to fly in. Um, so I feel like that kind of has its own advantage too, right? Because everybody's sleeping in their own beds and they're, um, they're, they're, I guess, I mean, you look at their road record this season, they're undefeated, right? So if they're treating it like a regular road game, I mean, there's not, not, not a lot of uh, errors yeah, there so far this season, so... Yeah, you know what? What kind of sticks out to me about this matchup in particular is is how much it feels that uh, feels like the Chiefs are just like kind of built for this. You know what I mean? Like they 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 went out and did it last year. Honestly, kind of like against all odds. You know, going back to that game against the Texans, I feel like this was kind of the expectation that that they would be here this year. What they they returned like twenty one of twenty two starters on both 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 sides of the ball. So basically everybody top to bottom except for rookies uh, has some kind of experience, you know, maybe accepting a guy like Juan Thornhill who was injured before the Super Bowl last year, whatever. By that same token, going going and looking at the Buccaneers roster, really outside of Bronk and Grady. uh, uh, (laughs) Sorry, I misspoke on that. Gronk and Brady and maybe JPP. I mean, there's there's really not that many guys who have been – in a game like this, it's going to be their first time kind of seeing the big stage. And, I mean, talk about built for this. I mean, Mahomes is just on another level. He played arguably his worst game of the, uh, worst game of the year last year in the, in, in the uh, Super Bowl. You know, led the comeback and won it. I think you'd be really hard-pressed to be picking against the Chiefs this week. But God knows some people will. And it is what it is. But I'm, I'm expecting, expecting a really good game either way. Yeah, I, uh, there is like a sense of like the Chiefs have been here before, right? Like, you know, you kind of get that mindset of like, well, we got another Super Bowl coming up, you know, no big deal. And I, I was talking to my brother, Nick, who, you know, used to write for Chiefs Wire as well um, a few weeks ago. And we were talking about how like the last few weeks of the season, ever since, you know, Mahomes took over and ever since the Chiefs have, you know, been like a, this dynamic force, the last few weeks of the season are almost like, I don't want to say boring in a way, but like you just expect the chiefs to like roll through these opponents. And yeah, I mean like they let some guys or they let some teams, um, you know, kind of stick around and stuff like that. But like, I really had no, you know, save the the Raiders game early on in the season. Like I had really no sense of the chiefs. Um, I had like no problem. Like I thought I knew that they were going to like win these games. And if you told me that the chiefs would have kept their starters in for the week 17 game, you know, I fully would have expected them to win that one too. And so, like, I don't know, not to sound cocky or anything, but it just seems like the Chiefs are, like like you guys said, like, built for, you know, this game. They're just, like, they're built for, like, handle these games, and they, they've been here before. And they're, like, the, they're easily, to me, the best team in the league. And, um, like, if they're firing and they're playing well, like, I don't see any reason why they should lose to the Bucks on Sunday. But 
Yeah, and I think I was getting ready to make that same point too, Wes. It's I think like the the last several weeks I've had this more calm feeling of heading into the postseason and I guess now heading into the Super Bowl. I've never yeah, you have nerves, but I think the nerves of making sure the players are healthy, making sure that everything, like, we don't have any issues when it comes to COVID violations and, like, that kind of stuff, that are the nerves. But when it comes to actually, like, the game playing, I just think I've been watching, you know, video of our regular season meeting against the Bucks, and there's just an air of confidence that – um kind of gets me like that's the adrenaline that I face and that the adrenaline that I get off of it and you know we've we've talked so much not only like separately but as a unit and online and via our respective outlets that it's really cool just to kind of see the progression that this team has made and the adjustments that this team has made based on who's on the field and who's hurt and who um are calling the plays and for the most part, I really love to see like just how adaptive we are, the Chiefs are. And that's, you know, big credit to the personnel for just thinking on the fly. This season has been obviously unlike anything else. And it's really great just to be a witness to how they're working smarter and not harder and you know they are working harder but there is such such an intelligence in the way that they um handle their business and that's really cool to see so that's why i'm not as concerned because i think you know while we're sitting here talking about what could go wrong they've talked about that in like week seven (laughs) and we probably and we're going to be talking about they're talking about that probably as we speak right now so we were in good shape and you know, I don't want to jinx us, but I think for the most part, I definitely believe it. Yeah. There's not really a whole lot I can add to everybody's uh, uh, statements already, but you know, the Chiefs have just been on a freight train since the very beginning of the season. You know, it's been super bowl robust for this team. Uh, they've, they've been the team of destiny. Um, you know, they were here last year, so they had the experience. You know, I think they're the better team. I think they're clearly the better team. So I think the main thing is if they're going to be out there and uh, go out there and perform, um, you know, they're going against Tom Brady, who you never want to bet against in the Super Bowl. But um, the Chiefs have the better team all around, in my opinion. So they should go out there and have a good game. Odds are definitely in the Chiefs' favor, you know, going into this game. Uh, but just doing a little flashback to their matchup on November 29th, uh, one of the biggest reasons for the win were Tyreek Hill for the 13 catches, 269 yards, and uh, three touchdowns. And he's obviously been on a tear even from the AFC title game. What do you think is is going to be the key in terms of uh, the Chiefs in regards to – because you know Tyreek Hill is going to get a lot of coverage. There's going to be a lot of eyes on him. Do you feel like this is a good opportunity for possibly Sammy Watkins if he is healthy or even McCole Hardman because of all the attention that will be paid to Tyreek Hill? And Wes, I'm going to start with you on this. Yeah, you know, I've seen some people kind of uh, allude to this on Twitter, but I think that there's like two ways the Bucks can approach this game and neither of them are like great options. Um, you know, they can either, um, you know, take the approach that they did the first time and um, you know, try try uh, to, you know, play the Chiefs aggressively. And if they do that, I mean, if they're not able to get pressure um, by their just their front four, then Tyree can run wild like he does. 
um, like he did against them, you know, earlier in the season. Um, you know, conversely, they could try to play conservatively, not allow the deep threat. And, you know, we saw what happened when the Bills tried to do that. I mean, Travis Kelsey just tore him up underneath. And I think that's what Sammy Watkins can do. I mean, that's what he's there for. Like, whenever teams pay too much attention to Watkins and Kelsey, or, or uh, excuse me, Hill and Kelsey, then Watkins is there to, you know, kind of pick up the slack. Yeah. Uh, man, I just don't know if there's a good way to stop Tyreek Hill. Um, I mean, the only thing I could think of, you're going to have to bracket him over the top with somebody. You're obviously going to need safety help. Uh, man, it's just really hard to, to, to like put yourself in that team's shoes and see what would they need to do. I mean, even if you cover him well, then you've got to worry about Kelsey. And then even if you worry about Kelsey and even if you bracket Tyreek, then you got to worry about Sammy Watkins. And then even if you manage to do all three of those things, then Andy Reid, like, scripts some sort of jet sweep pass to Tyreek Hill and he gets the ball anyway. Like, there's so many things the Chiefs t- can do to get the ball into Tyreek's hands without even having to worry about the safety help that but the Buccaneers could be doing. I mean, there's no great way to stop Tyreek Hill. And like Wes said, I think the Bucks' best chance is starting on that D-line. Um, Mahomes hasn't struggled much in his career, but when he has, it's because – the Chiefs have been struggling on that offensive line. If you can get to Mahomes, if you can force those offensive line penalties, then things kind of slow down for the Chiefs offense. But, I mean, in regards to guarding Tyreek Hill, there's there's really no good options in my opinion. Yeah, so with, with Tyreek Hill this time around, right, the, the matchup's going to be a little different. Because last time it was him against Carlton Davis, but that was only because Jamel Dean wasn't playing, right? Jamel Dean – runs like a 4-3-40, so he's a little bit faster than, than Carlton Davis is, and, and he's healthy now. So I think if they want to just, you know, have a guy shadow Hill, it's going to be Dean. It's it's definitely not going to be Davis. Now, I, I don't know that, that Todd Bowles is the type of defensive coordinator to necessarily do that, but, I mean, they got burnt so bad that first time around. You have to think that that maybe he's thinking, okay, let's put somebody else – on him give give them the shot or maybe he's thinking hey let's let Carlton try to redeem himself um and they also have Sean Murphy Bunting who is playing lights out right now too I think talented he had, very talented he had three interceptions right I think uh in, in the postseason so far so I mean he's a, a really good player too and um, I think they're they're going to mix and match maybe a little bit there, so so Hill won't be seeing just quite the same looks that he did that that first quarter. I, I certainly don't think we can expect uh, him to to go off for the two hundred plus yards uh, that that he did in that first quarter back in week twelve. I, I don't think you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna see that again. Yeah, I think Charles makes some really good points. Uh, but I mean, like, even if the, even if the Bucks can stop Tyreek Hill, where they decide to double him, or they, you know they just somehow find a way to you know keep him from going off, the Chiefs still just have too many weapons. Like in that game earlier this season, Travis Kelsey had 82 yards, eight receptions, so he still had a really good game. Sammy Watkins had 30, 38 yards, Robinson 36. So like, they were still able to get the ball to their other players. So they had success in the offense still. And just Tyreek Hill just went off and had you know a monster game, but. You know, when I look at the Bucks defense, I don't think they can really keep up with this keep up with this Chiefs offense. Um, you know, if they decide to take Hill completely completely out, there's just too many other players that can make a big difference in this game. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, and that's that's uh, what's so tough about stopping Kansas City is that uh, you know they they really do make you pick uh, uh, make opposing teams pick their poison. Uh, you know, especially with uh, with the addition of uh, uh, Clyde, Clyde Edwards Elaire. Uh, it 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 really does come down to can can you stop uh, some of the game's best talent all at once, you know, for a full four quarters, uh, and then also they've got the quarterback and now a competent defense, you know, which is what was what was lacking for so long is that you know the the offense would be able to hold up their end and you know maybe the defense let them down like they did in 2018. But I think this is going to come down to is is whether the Bucks choose to play aggressive or conservative, right? If, if, if the Bucks say, okay, we're not, we're not going to let you beat us deep. Like you did, you know, the, the, the first matchup, at least for that first, first quarter, first two quarters, you know, and they, and they force Kansas city to kind of dink and dunk through their offense. You know, I think that, I, th- I think that that's really honestly their only shot, you know, but that, that's also what Kansas city is kind of good at. And that's where, you know, there's, there's this narrative, at least on Twitter, you know they, that the Chiefs are beatable because they didn't blow blow every regular season opponent out. It is a fact that they didn't blow too many teams out this year. But uh, you know, to to me, that's that's a kind of product of defensive coordinators coordinating their defense in such a way to not give up these huge plays that you know there's a, a, a million highlights by now. Uh, and the Chiefs have proven you know, to the tune of 14 wins or would have been 15 if they chose to play their starters, that, that they can kind of kind of deal with that and still win and still win against good teams, you know. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's going to be a good matchup either way. You know, I, I, I think that Tom Brady is going to have to play pretty lights out in order to, to, to win it. The Bucks defense is going to have to step up in a big way and, you know, look a lot better than they did the first go-round. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna say the same thing as well. Like they, Tom Brady will have to truly play the best game of his life. There's no really margin for error with him, and you know, especially in the NFC Championship game, he got away with throwing three interceptions because I believe the Packers only were able to capitalize. What was it like? six or nine points off of that. So it wasn't even. You know, he got lucky in that respect, but. That's not going to be the case here. You know, time has said, you know, when you, if we get an, if the Chiefs get an interception, then we're almost guaranteed to score. And it's, I think that's the, that's the thing. There's really no stopping such a healthy squad like that, taking the time to not only understand their opponent's game, but they have taken understanding to also improve their game. And that's what's really remarkable that I, and I just continuously find impressive is, you know, they, like we mentioned earlier, the goal has always been the Super Bowl. It hasn't been, we'll make it to the postseason. It's we're going to go back and we're going to run it back. And with that kind of discipline, you see that that follows every week. Even the, even the games that they won by a possession or less, or they, or it took for the final second, like that, those were definitely still nervy, but I don't think that's changed my idea of the way that they can buckle down when it makes sense. I think, and I might, I might be alone in this, um, but you know, they probably got a little bit lax at the beginning, knowing that they had an edge up on their opponent, but especially now, there's really 
on the opposite side of like they've got to play lights out there's really no room for error on their end either like the defense has to be on their best offense has to be even better and I but I think that's all to say that you know I think Robert you you said this on Twitter Uh, I had to say it was maybe like week 15 or week 16 but you had mentioned that you were kind of concerned that they had so many weeks off in between um like the starters having three weeks off and I I did agree with you to an extent but it's also like it is it was it didn't really seem like it affected them I did at first I was like you got a point but it didn't really affect them so I'm hoping that this is the same way like they've got two weeks off and it's going to be the same way like that break is more of a benefit than um like a detriment to them one hundred percent. Yeah, and it turned out that having that week off was very fortunate because didn't Willie Gay and one other starter get hurt in that game? And imagine if that was a Mahomes or a Travis Kelsey. So yeah, that that week off ended up benefiting them even more than you know you could have hoped for. Yeah, man. <clears throat> when it comes to Tyreek Hill, I just think the Buccaneers are in trouble because there's no way you're going to stop him. You just can't. <clears throat> it's too good. It's too quick. He's too versatile. Um, if he's not beating you over the top, he's he's running one of those, you know, quick little hitch routes that he's selling deep and then he's running like eight yards instead of 16 and catches corners off guard. And, and if you bracket him, then you got Travis Kelsey, essentially what everybody else has been saying. But, um, you know, when you look at Jordan Whitehead and Antoine Winfield, the two starting safeties for the Buccaneers, one one is doubtful and the other is questionable. You don't want you don't want banged up safeties when you're trying to stop Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey. That's uh that's something that you're not going to really have a good chance of doing when you got two safeties that are hurt. And when you look at their depth at safety, there's just not a lot there. You got one primary special teams guy and then just a sole depth player who doesn't see a lot of action. So I think the Buccaneers approach here is to blitz the hell out of Patrick Mahomes. I know not a lot of teams get a lot of success out of that uh, based on just what, what he has in the aerial tag and, and as far as weapons go. But when you're the Buccaneers and when you're playing the biggest game of, of the of the year and you're playing against one of the best offenses that, you know, the league has ever seen within reason you don't want to do, you know, change too much up. You want to stick to what brought you to the dance and what brought the Buccaneers to the dance was the defense. Uh, And and the defense is going to come in. They, they're, you know, they're, they're, they remember what Tyree kill did to them. They remember what the chiefs did to them. They, they haven't forgotten. And, and uh, we, you know, we may touch on this later. I'm sure we will, but JPP can talk about not knowing who Mike Rimmers is all he wants, but, you know damn well he knows who he is. You know, he started week 12. Mike Rimmers has been a st- starting offensive lineman for the Chiefs the majority of the season. Um, so, yeah, for the Buccaneers, it's not a matter of stopping Tyreek. It's getting, it's getting to Patrick Mahomes before he can release the ball. I think that's the approach the Buccaneers are going to take. Uh, and whether that works out for him or not, I think we're all going to see how that plays out on Sunday. You know, a part of the uh, Chiefs offense, which really doesn't get as much talk as the – uh, the other areas is the running game. Now, Daryl Williams has been the guy the last couple of weeks. Clyde Edwards Alaire is coming back from the injury, but he's had an extra week of rest. And I just have to ask, and Rob, I'm going to start with you on this. Does it matter who the starting running back is for the Chiefs? Um, does it matter? I don't think so. I don't think so. Um, and the only reason I say that is because if you're playing, if you're a running back playing for the Kansas City Chiefs, you're going to see light boxes. I mean, and if you're a running back in the NFL and you see light boxes, you're probably going to have a good running day. 
Um, we saw it with Damian Williams last year. Uh, Daryl Williams now is taking advantage of that. Clyde Edwards-Alaire has had some really good moments this year because of the light boxes. Um, I don't think it matters as much as will a running back have a good game? Yes. Now, if it's Clyde Edwards-Alaire versus Daryl Williams, could Clyde have a higher ceiling of a game? So like a great game rather than a good game? Maybe. But I don't think it'll matter that much as to if a running back is going to have a good game uh, come Sunday, it won't matter which running back it is because it's it, you're going to see light boxes again if you're in the Kansas City Chiefs offense. So I don't think it'll matter much. Um, more than that, depth is what matters more than just who is going to be playing. Um, having Clyde and Le'Veon available for that game will be important just because, man, the Chiefs are so thin everywhere uh, at, on offensive line. Uh, at corner at times this year. So being able to have that rotation is much more important than who necessarily is starting, in my opinion. Yep, you totally, you hit the nail on the head. It's so we've got the depth of it and it, we've seen, like I said, mentioned earlier, we've seen the way that Andy Reid and his staff have been able to adapt given the circumstances of injuries, or um, even just rest. And so it's very remarkable to see just how much um, they've done that. It's what I, for me, who I prefer, I would prefer to see Clyde taking the field, but I'm not going to, you know, shake my head or be anything less than upset if Le'Veon is the first to touch the ball. Um, or if it's Daryl Williams, or, you know, it, it doesn't matter at this point, like, they've all have gotten a number of touches over the over the season, they've gotten each some touchdowns, they've gotten a chance to show that they're worthy of earning a role um, at some point, whether what quarter it is, or however much we're down, or we're winning by. So I just have to trust them. And that's really, that's kind of what I have to go with. It's, it's, I, but it always goes back to the fact that like we're approaching this in more of a calm way. Last this time last year, I guess we already been champions. So I guess this time a few days ago last year, I definitely had a little bit more of an edge about it. But now um, there's some lesson learned. There are lessons learned, but there are even more. It's just the talent is just there, and you've just got to hope that they are approaching this with maximizing like the energy of and the fitness of the team while also making sure that whoever whichever play is being run it's fit for the guy who is tasked with executing that play yeah i think you you're right on the money there with uh with the play because i think who's going to be in there is it's going to depend on on the play call right because all these guys they all have their their different strengths and uh i think they've they've kind of learned about those strengths throughout the course of the season, right? You know, a couple weeks back, there were some injuries. Darrell Williams comes in uh, and he's running real hard between the tackles, right? So if they need to pick up those those short yardage type of situations, someone to run between the tackles on this defense, Darrell Williams is probably going to be the guy. They need someone uh, in there to to catch a pass. Um, You know, it might be Le'Veon Bell. It might be Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Um, I, I was actually kind of surprised this past week, um, that they decided 
to, to start uh, Clyde. I was expecting that Darrell would get the start and they'd kind of work Clyde in, work him back up because he hadn't played. Um, but but Clyde gets a start and, you know, he didn't see much action. I think he had like seven carries or something. He had the touchdown. but And he didn't see much success either, but besides the touchdown. But uh, again, I think I think it's really going to be a situational thing with the running backs, and I, I just love how this room has come together too, right? Uh, the relationship between Durrell and Clyde going back to LSU, and then uh, Le'Veon coming in and just meshing really well. And then let's not forget about Anthony Sherman, guys. It's been a minute since he's caught like a like a little screen pass or or something had a big play. I mean, it, this is the exact type of situation where Andy Reid likes to catch some guys off guard and, you know, throw a touchdown pass to the fullback or, you know, give them, give them a little fullback dive when they're not expecting it and he takes it for 20 yards or something. You, you never know. You never know. You put money on a sausage touchdown this weekend, Charlie? I, you know what? You know what? Uh, I might. I might throw it into one of my parlays over there on BetMGM. Uh, fullback use was like one of the big themes of the uh, Super Bowl last year early uh, between Juszczyk and uh, uh, Sherman. So, I mean, yeah. you know, and with the, uh, you know, it seems like the, the Super Bowl has kind of become a place to highlight those kind of, uh, oh, shoot, what uh, what they call it when uh, 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 Nick Foles caught, caught the touchdown pass a couple years oh, ago. Philly, Philly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, the, the, those like kind of gadget plays from players that you wouldn't otherwise uh, expect. So, you know, that that actually really wouldn't surprise me. I'm, I'm glad you guys brought it up. Well, the Chiefs had a Rose Bowl right parade last year, the mm-hmm. spinning play from the 1940s Rose Bowl. So it, it's possible. I, I think they're uh, they're going to dig into the Joe files. They're going to find some sort of trick play that that catches uh, Tampa by surprise. You you know that they uh, they like to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, – I, I don't think it really matters who gets the start necessarily, but I do think that the hot hand right now is Daryl, um, like Charles has been talking about. And, I mean, the way he's been running, like he's been running with some anger, you know, <laughs> like he's a, he's been running like a brick wall – like running through brick walls and stuff. So I think they got to let him, uh, you know, get a shot in the Super Bowl to make some plays. I mean, I know Clyde's going to get in there too. Um, I don't know, like with his injury and everything, how much Bell's going to get in there, but – I. I would imagine that if he's healthy, they'd at least let him get some snaps in the Super Bowl. But I, uh, I think I expect to honestly see Daryl and Clyde almost 50-50. And maybe if Daryl's running well, maybe we'll see a little bit more of him um, overall. Yeah, to answer the, the question directly, I don't think it really matters which running back gets to start or gets more playing time. Uh, the Chiefs are going to take advantage of the areas where they can. Like, they'll take care of those light boxes, you know, They'll have the right players in the right spot. But if I had to choose, like, one player, like, in my opinion, that I'd rather get, you know, more playing time, I'd probably go to Clyde just because he is the rookie. Um, I feel like, you know, he hasn't really done what I expected him to do this season. Like, I expected him to be, you know, you know one of the top running backs in the league. Maybe that's me just having really high expectations for him with him just being, you know, the first-round running back. But, you know, we expected this guy to make, you know, a big impact out of the outfield catching the ball and stuff. Um, I feel like the Chiefs haven't done that a lot with him, um, or I, I, I expected them to do a little bit more. I feel like this would be a good game to maybe, you know, get him a little bit more involved, you know, see what Andy Reid drew up, you know, why did the Chiefs draft him, 
So I think this it would be fun to watch, you know, see if Andy Reid comes up with some big plays because we've seen Andy Reid, uh, you know, decide to go to the running backs in, uh, in the passing game, you know, last year in the previous playoff games, you know. Damian Williams, you know, had a couple of touchdown catches last year. So I could see them, you know, really counting on Clyde's ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. Yeah, I anticipate CEH to get the start. Um, but, you know, throughout the course of the game, I, I expect, you know, both backs to get plenty of – not plenty, but, but their fair share amount of touches. And, you know, given the, the injury and uh, the lack of playing time that Edward Hilaire has seen lately and how – you know, Williams has stepped it up. You know, it's hard to say you don't want to see Williams get carries. and But on the same token, it's hard to say you don't want to see CEH get, get carries. So, yeah, I think it needs to be an RBC approach here by Reed, which, you know, CEH has definitely carried the ball more times than any of the backs on the roster. You know, I think the next – I think he had over 180 carries, and the next was uh, Le'Veon Bell, who, you know, came in later in the season. And, uh, you know, Williams is – only just started getting a heavier workload due to the CEH injury and, and to see him perform the way he has is, is definitely a, a um, you know, a gleam of hope uh, against a really tough rushing defense. But, you know, do I think this game is going to go through the running game? Absolutely not. It's going to go pet through Patrick Mahomes and, and the, you know, your, your typical cast of characters, but um, it's important to have those fresh legs available when, and, uh, or I'm sorry, if, and when they're going to be needed, because they are going to be needed. Uh, you can't be a one-dimensional team and win the Super Bowl. I don't care how good the Chiefs' aerial attack is. So you do need those running backs. But uh, who's back there or who gets a start, not that important. But I do, they, they, them collectively, very important to the victory. Okay, guys. Now, traditionally, the matchup with Steve Spagnuolo as defensive coordinator going against Tom Brady has kind of swayed in Spagnuolo's his favor, you know, for a lot of Giants fans out there that I remember. But uh, – Going into this matchup with, obviously, the Tampa Bay version of Tom Brady, who do you feel like on defense needs to make the big plays in order for the Chiefs to be successful? And, uh, Mitch, I want to start with you on this one. Yeah, I think it really just starts with our front four. Um, You know, we pay Chris Jones and Frank Clark uh, to be, you know, our leaders on the defense. We expect them to go out there and be able to get the quarterbacks. Uh, I mean, like, you know, they, we expect them to go out and have big games, you know, in the Super Bowl and the AFC Championship, which they've done so for the last two years. So I expect that to continue to happen. Uh, I think the biggest key to this game is, you know, getting pressure to Tom Brady and making him uncomfortable. Um, I know he's seen basically every type of defense in the NFL, but, um, you know, the dude's very unmobile. He can't, you know, he doesn't really have the arm strength anymore. So I think as long as they can get to him and make him uncomfortable, see if he can make a couple of mistakes, um, he's thrown a lot of interceptions this year, so if they can force him to do that. I think the Chiefs are going to be in a really good, uh, in a really good situation. Yeah, I definitely agree. I was uh, I was actually watching the um, the Super Bowl from last year, last night, and I was I forgot how much of a beast Chris Jones was in the game, and I don't think the Chiefs won the Super Bowl last year if he didn't get all those like batted passes and stuff. I mean, he was just he was just crazy. So. I think, yeah, the Chiefs definitely need to get pressure with uh, Jones and Frank Clark. Um, I mean, that they just need those guys. Um, and another guy I think that might be a little underrated as far as having an impact compared to who, you know, wasn't available for last year's game was Juan, Horn- is Juan Thornhill, um, who was awesome last week. And, um, like, him and the entire secondary were just 
amazing last week and you heard Tony Romo gushing over them <laughs> last week. So, um, I mean, I think this, it'll be the same this week because, um, you know, as long as those guys are, you're holding down the fort, if like, if the pass rush can at least be decent and get to Tom Brady, then, I mean, I don't I, And I think they could force him to have another, uh, you know, game like he did last week in the second half against the Packers, which was, um, you know, not very good. So if that happens, Chiefs got the W. Yeah, you know, I'm uh, to uh, build off what Mitch said. You know, I mean, if you uh, go to the, um, I, well, I guess I can call him by name. This like overthecap.com or whatever. Uh, if 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 you go look there at the Chiefs' cap situation moving forward, uh, with the exception of Patrick Mahomes, uh, totally uh, deserved massive contract. Uh, yeah, uh, Frank Clark is basically the Chiefs' highest-paid player this year and is the second-highest-paid player moving forward and also is, like, one of the only players contracted through, what, like 2023 or 2024. So, uh, you know, this is the kind of game for the Chiefs' front four to really show up and for that pass rush to show up because, you know, after the years of uh, Tom Bahali and Justin Houston – you know, setting records basically on a, on a year-to-year basis, uh, you know, whether they're franchise records or, you know, moving up the all-time sacks leaderboards. Uh, you know, the, the, the Chiefs have kind of been wanting for a pass rush. And what's, what's been nice is that the, the, the past couple of years, that, that pass rush has kind of come around in the playoffs, right? They've, they've maybe not produced the way that a top at, at least top paid uh, – you know, pass rush uh, as as much as you'd want them to produce in the regular season, but you know, come come playoffs, come you know, last year's Super Bowl, uh, that that ended up being a kind of defining factor for the defense. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I I'd, I'd, I'd say the front four, but like 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 Mitch said, you know, uh, uh, Frank Clark and uh, Chris Jones specifically, you know, if they if they both get hot on the same day. The Chiefs' defense, you know, with all of the other playmakers, is, is going to be just absolutely, maybe not unstoppable, but very, very, very hard to beat. Uh, and if 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 there's one player in in particular that I'm looking at for the Chiefs' defense, it's uh, uh, Legarius Sneed. Kid made a ton of plays before he got hurt in in the uh, regular season, and uh, you know has played has played at a very minimum ser- uh, serviceably in his action in these playoffs and after he came off that injury. And, you know, I think that if there's one player to watch, it would be him, at least for me. Yep. Like I was going to say, although the pass rush game is definitely something to keep an eye on, I'm going to be really focusing my attention as well on the chief secondary um, because, you know, we know, just the arm that Tom Brady has on him. And it would be nice to for them to put up some big plays. With that being said, I really do like how Snead has been performing, not only in his rookie campaign, but just him bouncing back after an injury. It's it's like he was definitely missed for those three or three or so weeks that he was gone. But when he got back, it's like he picked up right where he left off. And I, I would say I would definitely expect for us to um, expect, ex- expect for fans and um, everyone watching the game to see 
them come up with another big play. That's kind of been their brand as of late, especially in the postseason, to really catch the quarterbacks, you know, in a compromising position and pull up and do what they can to, um, you know, shift the momentum of the game. And we've seen that not only when, when against the Browns, but also, of course, with the Bills and that's really been the make or break part. The other thing for me is it's really interesting we bring up Frank Clark because I really didn't, maybe I wasn't paying attention enough or or what, but I didn't realize he had such a, like a history with Tom Brady. So I feel like he's, they're both coming in with this chip on their shoulder. And I, I read their history, their, I guess their history of their feud. And it's not as much a feud as this when they get on the field together, they just have to exchange words, but I could also feel like that's going to be something to watch out for because they're really going to they're really going to see I think it's going to be more frank because he already said after the championship game like I'm coming for that ass or something and I think you know although he said he was kind of joking I'm really interested to see if he's really gonna take himself seriously so those are the two things the secondary is going to be what my eye is on but to kind of answer your question um and I really have to give it to Steve uh, Spagnolia because he's really done such a phenomenal job of instilling a level of confidence in the defense that I guess I hadn't really noticed since in the days, like you said, of the Tom Wallys and the Derek Johnsons, we really see every single player just really take on the role of, even if they're not a leader in the sense of like Tyron Matthew, um, in that capacity, they understand that they all play a crucial role. And that's been really fun to watch them just kind of accept that, like, this is what you're here to do. This is what you're here to do. And as the game continues, you can just tell that they all work, not only work together really well, but they absolutely listen to each other. And there's really no, like, desperation to be the most competitive person out there as you see with a lot of other defenses or there's not there's not one star like I guess you could say on like the 49ers you've got Nick Bosa or um, in Washington you've got Chase Young but and on the Chiefs you've got you know four or five maybe even six players who all shine in their own regard and that's a testament to not only the confidence that's been instilled in them but the each of the assets that they bring to the team. Yeah, I'm going to have my eyes uh, fixed pretty pretty hard on Alex Okafor. Uh, you know, talk about a dude that's tasted success and tasted the you know um, the Super Bowl for so many years. He's he was a part of the Saints uh, in 2017. He got hurt during that year, and that was the year they lost to the Vikings in that crazy ending of the game with Stephon Diggs. He was a part of the Saints in 2018, one of their uh, you know main contributors. He was a part of that NFC championship with the, you know, the, the no call PI and uh, they, they lose in that game. Uh, and then he joins the chiefs on the path to the Super Bowl, gets hurt, misses out on the game this year, man, this guy has to be one of the hungriest players on the field come Sunday, come game time. Um, no, he's probably not going to get the start. He's going to split reps uh, on the, dif- on the defensive side with passing, yo, which is perfectly fine. Tano has been the starter all year and he's, he's been spectacular. Uh, in his role in what the team expects him to do. But Alex Okafor, uh, when he's in there, I expect him to be going full bore uh, no matter what the assignment is, no matter what the play is, no matter what the situation is, uh, down a distance, all that. 
Alex Okafor is going to be a man possessed. And I really am looking forward to seeing this guy uh, finally getting the chance to play in the Super Bowl when coming so close for like the past three or four seasons and just going through adversity after adversity after adversity. And finally, now he's getting that chance. Um, Even after being injured again this year, he's getting that chance. So I think, you know, when he gets to finally strap it up and and play against one of the best that has ever done it in Tom Brady, I think he's going to be itching to get that sack. Yeah, uh, I agree with everybody, man. It's hard to have a a bad take on this because if any one guy has an amazing game, that can turn the fortunes of everything really quickly. Um, But I will say this, uh, the secondary playing well is important, one, because the Bucks receivers are really good, but two, because the Chiefs' D-line hasn't really met expectations this year, Spagnolo calling those corner blitzes, you know, that Snead has become famous for, is really key to the Chiefs getting any pressure. So for that reason, the secondary is really important. But for me personally, um, I think it's really important that the linebackers have a really good game. With Willie Gay Jr. getting injured, I think the Chiefs' best linebacker will not be on the field come Sunday. Um, Anthony Hitchens has had a pretty good year, but infamously, Ben Neiman uh, has become very infamous in Chiefs fandom right now, and maybe for good reason. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I just think Tom Brady, he's so cerebral. He goes in on, on whatever your team's weakness is. And right now, secondary's pretty good. D-line can be pretty good when they want to, especially when it comes to the playoffs. But that linebacker core, it's going to be a weakness, and I bet you Tom Brady's going to want to attack it. So I think Ben Neiman, Anthony Hitchens, Damian Wilson, if those three need to have a great day or else Tom Brady will be picking on them continuously. I'm just going to, I'm going to bring it back to, to kind of what, what Ed evoked here at the beginning, which was uh super bowl 42, Steve Spagnuolo in that game. And what, what he said, um, you know, after the game, years after the game, what his plan was, the two things he wanted to accomplish were hitting Tom Brady and not giving up passes over 20 yards. So it's not even just like sacking Tom Brady. He wanted to hit him. He wanted to make sure that every time he he let the ball out of his hands, he ended up on the ground. And we've seen how that has affected Tom Brady in the past. I think back to the 2014 uh, game before Spags was even here, the Monday night football game where, you know, they benched Tom Brady at the end of the game against the chiefs because he, he had a horrible game. Uh, and, and a lot of that came from the pressure. There's just endless amounts of pressure from um, Tom Bahali, Justin Houston. I mean, yeah, everybody, everybody was getting after him. And, and, you know, they're talking about it like, wow, Tom Brady's done. He's going to end up retiring. They're going to trade him or, you know, all this stuff. Obviously, none of that ended up happening. I think they went on to even win the Super Bowl later that year. But, um, you know, it, uh, it it's interesting to me that those were the two things that were, were most important to Spags back then. And I, I have a feeling those are going to be the two things that are most important uh, to Spags for this game plan as well. Uh, I talked to... Chief secondary coach Dave Merritt um, today, and I asked him specifically about uh, the 2007 game and even the 2011 game uh, with the Giants because he was the secondary coach back then uh, under under Spags. At least in 2007, I know he uh, Spags was 
with the Rams in 2011. But um, I asked him if he had talked to the guys about, um, you know, those teams and that game and that game plan. And he told me that he had, and even before this year's Super Bowl, even last year's Super Bowl, but even before that, he had talked about it. And he told me that you always try to draw draw from the past. But I, I found the thing so interesting. He, The thing that he was focusing on when he was talking to the players was specifically how those teams played together as a, as a unit, as a team, uh, to kind of co- accomplish the goals that they had. Um, so, I, I, I mean, the, the teaching element of this from the coaching staff with these defenders, um, that, that just seems like such a, a finer point, something, such a minute detail. Um, but I think that's something that just takes the, the defensive teaching. It, it's the difference between, you know, Bob Sutton's defense and what Steve Spagnuolo has brought to this team it is those types of details and looking into those types of things and seeing what you can, what you can draw from. Right. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at, at that, the stats from that Super Bowl 42 game. Right. And the, the, Two defenders, uh, besides the defensive lineman, I mean, Justin Tuck and OCU Manura had just an insane game. Um, but beside those guys, it was actually the, the secondary, uh, the safeties, that had the big games. So I'm looking at another guy kind of on, on Talon's note. He, he's talking about Alex Okafor. I'm, I'm thinking about Juan Thornhill, right? He didn't get to play in Super Bowl uh, 54. He, he was injured on injured reserve, injured in week 17, non-contact knee injury. He was at the Super Bowl watching his teammates take the field. He said the hardest thing that he had to do was watch them come out of the tunnel uh, and, and take the field. He was so excited for them, but then after that excitement faded from that first snap, he was like, dang, I'm not out there. I'm, I'm not playing in the Super Bowl. I was that close. So uh, I, I think that, that Thornhill uh, – is going to have a game and is going to have to have a game uh, if the Chiefs are to have success on the defensive side of the ball. And I'm personally kind of looking for a big game from the defense, right? I, I think the Chiefs offense, they're going to do uh, what they're going to do. They, they've done it all year. They, they always do. They always find a way. Um, but I think this is a chance for, for the Chiefs defense to really make a statement to say, hey, we are elite. And uh, I, I really hope that, that they do make that statement. Yeah, to kind of piggyback off of what Charles is saying, um, I wholeheartedly agree, man. you got to limit the big, the big plays, as he was saying, that Spags was uh, emphasizing in that first Super Bowl matchup, um, and then obviously hitting Tom Brady. But one thing I want to bring up here, and I think it's important to bring up, is the last time the Buccaneers and the Chiefs played – the Chiefs were penalized 10 times for 82 yards. That's a scoring drive, right? That, you know, 10 plays, 82 yards, that's a scoring drive. So the Chiefs gifted the Buccaneers a scoring drive and penalties alone. I'm all for getting after Tom Brady, but if we see Frank Clark starting to get those rough in the pass for penalties or we start seeing that, you know, those guys start to get a little overzealous, that's going to do nothing but hurt the Chiefs' chances at, at hoisting that second straight Lombardi. So, yeah, man, I want to see Tom Brady get pressured out. I want to see him get uncomfortable, but I do not want to see those yellow flags get thrown. Uh, and if the Chiefs can clean up those penalties, man, like I said, 10 penalties for 82 yards, you cannot do that. Uh, you know, they got away with it in the regular season, but you do that in the Super Bowl, and uh, you're, you're looking at an AFC championship season, not a Super Bowl season. 
You guys definitely uh, hit the nail on the head. It's, this is such a uh, a big moment for the defense, and everybody knows defense is so important in the playoffs. But uh, the big talk heading into the Super Bowl is the marquee matchup, Mahomes versus Brady. You know, will this be the official passing of the torch? So I want, I want you guys just your quick takes on this. Do you really believe this is this game is as big as they're saying in terms of the passing of the torch? Like, who needs this game more? Does Brady need this more than Mahomes? And I'm going to start with you, um, Bissiani, on this. Yeah, so I, I don't – I think about – I've thought about this often, and I still think about this as I'm answering this. So I don't want to say this is definitive, but I honestly think that Brady's legacy is already cemented. Um, I really I, – no matter if he wins or loses this – um, we're not going to see him as nothing less than the GOAT, unfortunately, no matter if you, um, what are your thoughts on him? Like, he's definitely someone who cemented his um, spot in pro football history. So I would have to say, I think this game is more important for Mahomes. I think, you know, we have, we've seen the the things that Brady can do with the Patriots and we've seen it with the Bucks, And you know that we, people did expect him to be there. Like they expected the Chiefs to be there. But I do think this game is more important for Mahomes. And I do, and I say that because, um, you know there are there we have there are so many special young talents at the in the quarterback role, and there is so who's to say this time next year if the Chiefs will find themselves in this position again? And you know and I say that because we have incoming talent, uh, we have from the draft and um, but rookie talent, and we've got people who are Mahomes' age who are you know four years into the league, but I think it's more important for him because this is going to not only make it worthwhile and make it seem, make it like, yep, I deserve that 500 million, whether people believe it or not. I think he does, but it's going to solidify that he's well-deserving of that. And also on top of that, it's going to really make Kansas City the dynasty that everyone is painting them out to be. And, you know, we've, we're, as we continue talking about this and we're going to talk about this afterwards as well is it's really remarkable to see just the quick turnaround that they have done in the years that Mahomes has been here. And, you know, everyone looks to him as like the leader and the one that's going to turn around this franchise he already has, but the people aren't going to be satisfied until he gets that second ring. So it's the pressure is more on him. I don't think it should be. I don't think he deserves to have that much pressure at 25 years old for someone who's already brought a championship to the city. But unfortunately that's how it is. You signed a half a billion dollar contract and now all eyes are on you to capitalize on that within the first season of you signing it. And he's not even on that contract day. on his rookie contract. So I think that unfortunately it's all on him. Um, whether Tom Brady loses on Sunday, it's not going to matter. He's going to leave and he's going to say, I've still got six rings. Mahomes has two, but Brady, it's not going to be a problem for him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and this is, I think, what is uh, maybe the most important kind of kind of kind of backstory to this game is like whether the Chiefs can can repeat in back to back years, which I'm not even sure when the last time that's that's been done where a team wins two in a row in the NFL. I know it happens in the uh uh NBA and MLB, but I'm 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 uh oh the oh oh three to oh four Patriots. That's a good call by Charlie. Uh 
I see that there. But yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, but this is this would still be basically the first time in twenty years. Something to talk about in its own right. But uh what what I personally find more more compelling, you know, I mean, given given like like we just talked about, you know, Brady is is the undisputed goat, right? No matter what at the end of this game, given that he's got like six rings. But you know, for 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 potential future goat discussions, this game could have huge implications because by the time by the time Mahomes retires, it's hard to think that if you know Mahomes had a similar you know level of success to Brady that that there would be anybody else in the discussion you know to to even compare it to except for like maybe Montana you know and and I'm not sure what the timing of Brady you know clearly outpacing Montana is you know what what year that happened uh per se but you know I mean it, it's it's going to be one of these things you know and it 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 almost feels like that kind of transition you know, for you know that we're that we're potentially headed from a kind of Montana era to a Brady era, and now from a potentially Brady era to a Mahomes era. Yeah, and and I agree with everything everybody said before me. Um, you know, I do think a lot of people are putting a lot of emphasis on the Tom Brady comparison. You know, which is legit. I mean, Tom. I mean, Patrick Mahomes as you know is going towards that way. He looks like he could be the best quarterback in the league. Uh, to ever play. But you also got to think about, we don't know if Patrick Mahomes is ever going to make it to the Super Bowl again. I mean, yeah, we, we, we can always have the conversation about if he's going to be the GOAT, but, you know, we can also say, you know, in the AFC, the Chiefs are going to be going against Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, uh, Deshaun Watson, depending on where he where he goes in the next couple seasons. Like, the Chiefs are going to have competition in the AFC. Who says the Chiefs will ever make it back to the Super Bowl in another 50 years? So I think, you know, this game has a lot of importance on Mahomes' legacy. So if he loses a Super Bowl, he only has one ring. Say he never makes it back. He only has one ring. You know, where do we rank him on all-time quarterbacks? Is he less than Big Ben? Is he less than John Elway? Um, if he wins the Super Bowl, you know, he has a better a, a better chance of, you know, you know, cementing his legacy as one of the best quarterbacks to ever play. You know, in 20 years, if Mahomes only has one ring, you know, where do we really rank him at, at the all-time quarterbacks? So – that's my biggest thing, you know. I think Tom Brady's already cemented as the, as the best to ever play. So um, Mahomes is still working that way, and, and I think people are starting to crown him a little bit too early, saying that hey, he's the next one. It's only between him and Brady. He still has a lot of work to do. Yeah, I definitely agree with that, Mitch, and I I agree with a lot of what's been said. So um, you know, not to sound not to go and sound redundant. So I'd say like. Just to add, like, as a fan, I think, you know, last year I wanted the Chiefs to win, obviously, because I'm a Chiefs fan. So for the city, for the for the team, I wanted to win. This year, it's the same, but I really want it to be a W for Mahomes, like, for these specific reasons that we're talking about. I don't want to hear that Brady's the GOAT and Mahomes couldn't beat Brady and all that for the next 10, 20 years. Like, I want Mahomes to show everyone who the, you know, head of the table is and you know, that he's, he's the goat now, or he, you know, is the possible future goat. And, uh, or at least he is right now in the NFL currently. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to agree with Wes here. Like if Tom Brady wins this one, I don't think there's ever going to be another goat discussion, man. I mean, seven rings is nearly impossible. Like imagine if Michael Jordan only had five rings versus six, right? That LeBron, versus MJ gap would be much shorter, but because Jordan got that sixth ring, man, it's really hard. 
LeBron has a very steep hill to climb in order to beat him. Same with Mahomes, man. If he's going to catch Brady, he's going to have to win this game in order to make sure that gap is narrow. Because if Tom Brady gets seven, I think the door is closed on that one pretty much. But if, you know, if Mahomes is able to win this one, who knows what he's going to do next. But this will go a big step toward that. You know, Mahomes, throughout his entire career, when you look back at Texas Tech, when he when he got to the NFL, he, he didn't want to lose anymore, right? Because he lost so much at Texas Tech. So for me, I feel like it, if he doesn't win this game, it's going to motivate him uh, to, to take it to the next level, whatever that looks like. You know, it's like Super Saiyan 5 for, for Mahomes, right? Like he, his hair is going to – his hair is going to just change, you know, uh, colors, you know, it, it's going to be a color that we can't even perceive through our, through our eyesight. But, um, no, I just, I, I feel like Tom Brady knows, right. I feel like the torch has already been passed. I feel, I feel like it happened when Mahomes lost in the AFC championship game, uh, back in 2018 and Tom Brady came through and he was like, Hey man, look, you're going to come back from this and you're going to win a Super Bowl. He gave it the locker room, tells him stuff like this after the game, you know, lets him know that he's on the right path to, to being great. And he comes back in the next year, he battles adversity. He, uh, you know, separates his kneecap, right? He's out for, for a couple of games. He's injured. He doesn't have the same season he had in 2018. His star running back gets, uh, you know, ejected, what what have you, like, um, I just feel like uh, that, that Mahomes maybe, the, the torch has maybe already been passed and that, that Brady maybe sees that Mahomes is going to be the next guy to kind of pick up that mantle, whether he gets six, seven Super Bowls or not, that when, when Brady hangs it up, that it's going to be all about Mahomes. Yeah, look at you, Ed, sneaking in one of my favorite comparison questions. Um, no, nah, man, I, in all reality, I think that comparisons are due to how successfully or how successful Mahomes has been to start his career. It's never happened before. And the only real thing to compare to is Brady because nobody else can say they've done what Mahomes has in such a short period of time. It's more of an unprecedented reality, and pundits don't really know how to address it rationally. So we have to, you know, throughout these lofty expectations for Mahomes, who's 25, and, and sit here and say, well, if, if, if Brady gives him this time, he's probably never going to do it. Man, I don't think there's any ceiling or any limit to what Mahomes can do. And, and, and I don't really know, in my opinion, the outcome of this game, it's not going to change Mahomes' legacy at all. We, he's been a starter for three years, and he's been to two Super Bowls and an AFC Championship. Why is there an end in sight? Yes, Travis Kelsey's going to be gone one day. One day, Tyreek Hill's going to be gone one day. But man, uh, and Andy Reid's going to be gone one day. Like all this stuff is going to change. But I think everything that matters in this moment, it's not emphasized anymore because it's the Super Bowl. If if the Super Bowl is not any more important to you than it are, then if it's not everything to you as a football player, and 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 like when you go into the Super Bowl, there shouldn't be any more added pressure. It's the Super Bowl. It's the biggest game that you will ever play in. So. For me, whoever wins it, man, I, for Brady, it's a great ending to a career. And, and for Mahomes, win or lose, we got 15 more years of, of unbelievable football to watch. I definitely agree with that. And like I said, I just want to thank everybody for uh, coming together on this. 
we're going to do our predictions for the scores. I'm assuming everyone's taking the Chiefs in this game. So, um, Talon, we'll come right back to you. What is the final score in this game? I'm going to go Chiefs 31, uh, Buccaneers 28. Okay, Mitch, what score do you have? Chiefs 34-30. Okay, Vinciani, what um, score do you have? At Chiefs 28, Bucks 21. Okay, Robert, what score do you have? Uh, I'm not going to do a prediction because <laughs> last year I didn't do a prediction and the Chiefs won. So I'm doing that all this postseason. So I'm going to just say the team with the most points is going to win. Okay, Wes. I respect, I respect the commitment there. Um, <laughs> I'm going uh, Chiefs 34, Bucks 24. Charles. I'm thinking uh, Chiefs 37, Bucks 27. John. I'm calling the first 50 burger in the Super Bowl. Chiefs 55, Bucks 14. Let's go. Hey, going good, man. Excited for a uh, big Super Bowl this Sunday. Oh yeah, run it back. <laughs> Definitely, man. Thank you for thank you for taking the time to uh, speak with us. And uh, I know you're such a huge uh, Chiefs fan that we just had to get you on the site some way. And uh, it's like I said, it's uh, we're thankful for the time. I appreciate you having me. Um, I, I do just want to start from the beginning. Uh, when did you first become a Chiefs fan? Um. Well, growing up in Kentucky, uh, we we didn't have a pro team to root for. We still don't have a pro team to root for. So, um, I, you know, I just kind of rooted for my favorite players. Um, some of my favorite players were like Tony Dorsett growing up and um, Howie Long. And uh, then, of course, Joe Montana. Um Marcus Allen, actually, that's the number I wore, number 32, uh, playing football in high school. Um, so when Montana came over to the Chiefs and Marcus Allen, I believe it was 93 mm -hmm. uh, when that happened, my, who's, my girlfriend at the time it was a Kansas City girl. We started dating in 92. Fast forward 20 years later, and uh, she's my wife, and we have two boys. And so she's from Shawnee Mission, well, Overland Park, Kansas, and she went to school at Shawnee Mission Northwest. So she's a Kansas City girl. She grew up going to the Chiefs games with her family. Her dad was a season ticket holder. She was running around there in the 1970s uh, at Arrowhead growing up as a kid. And so I married into the Chiefs, and... Ironically, Marcus Allen and Joe Montana had come over, and it was a perfect fit, and I've been a fan ever since, all the way through Derek Thomas, Tony Gonzalez, Priest Holmes, you know, all the greats, Will Shields, all those guys that were there, Trent Green, Larry Johnson, you know, who, who was the guy that always ran back all the punts? Dante, oh, Dante Hall. Hall, the human joystick. Uh, yeah, Tamba Ali, you know, all, all the greats. So I'm excited that um, we, we have the combo of Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes and 
all the great weapons we have now with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire coming on and Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. And we have a, a defense now that has that kind of put us over the edge when, when um, we got Spagnola and upgraded our defense. And, yeah, so just uh, proud of this team, excited for them, and uh, the future is very bright for a long time in Kansas City. So, And my wife and I went to the Super Bowl last year. Nice. It's the first time I've been in a championship environment like that where I was invested and, you know, I, I grew up in Kentucky, so you know we we have uh, a rich tradition of national championships in basketball. Um, but for me, you know, growing up playing football since I was seven years old, all the way until I graduated high school, wasn't good enough to play college ball, but uh, big enough, fast enough, or good enough. But um, growing up rooting for Kentucky Wildcats in football in the Southeastern Conference has been a hard road to hoe because you got Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Florida, Auburn, Tennessee, you know, all those schools. So it's nice to be on the championship side of a football team, mm-hmm. finally. <laughs> oh, man, definitely. And, I, you know, usually my next question would be, uh, would it be your, your favorite moment of all time? I have to assume it was last year's Super Bowl win. championship last year for the Hunt family to to finally bring that trophy home. Um, The Hunt family, they're just, I've had the pleasure of of spending some time with them. Uh, My wife and I will usually make it into Kansas City for a game and and sometimes they'll host us in the owner's suite and just, just a class act family all the way around, just great people. And the fact that last year they they got that AFC trophy and then they got the Super Bowl, couldn't happen to a better organization, a better family. Um, they're just really sweet people. So, yeah, that last year, my favorite probably of all time. Well, that is great. And... And a question that we uh, usually ask, and it's always a tough question for people, but uh, it's, it's kind of fun, their responses. If you're putting together an all-time Chiefs team, who is your starting tight end? Is it going to be Tony Gonzalez or, or is it Travis Kelsey? Well, you need to. <laughs> Wait, if we're going to go over what? Normally, sometimes you got to go in that the, the 12 package to uh, – so I take – I mean – each team needs two tight ends, right? This is true. <laughs> I, I'm taking, I'm taking the best, the best to ever do it, Gonzalez and Kelsey. Okay, I like that. You're not going to choose one over the other. <laughs> and then imagine Dante Hall and Tyreek Hill returning kickoffs and punts together. Oh yeah, I like it. I like and then, it. You know, you got to have Derek Thomas. Hmm. Uh, for the for the hard yards, you gotta have Priest Holmes, Always. one of the best to ever do it. Um, just 
as well. Will Shields on the on the O line. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see, Christian Okoye too for for the goal line. Oh yeah. The Nigerian Nightmare. Gotta have him. Um, yeah. So. Lots of great, lots of great folks to choose from. Tama Ali, mm-hmm. man. Oh yeah, though definitely got plenty of great choices. Now, I have to ask because I, you know, I follow you on social media, and uh, you're very, uh, you have this little thing going with your, uh, your your fellow Backstreet Boy Nick Carter, in regard to him being a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan. Uh, is there like a, a little like side uh, wager you guys got go- got going on the game? We haven't we haven't wagered anything. I'm not going to bet any money. I mean, I don't like to to bet money on anything. I like I work hard for my money. I like to keep it. But we may do some kind of wager that the other guys got to you know wear the the losing the losing guys got to wear the other team's gear at a show on stage or something like that. I don't know. We're gonna figure it out. We're gonna we're gonna do a a little Instagram live here later this evening uh, and talk some X's and O's and, and and talk about the game. But, look, I'm happy for him because I know how long he's been waiting. Unfortunately, they're going to have to face the Chiefs. And so that's just the reality of the situation. But I'm happy for him that they made it to the Super Bowl. It's been a while. The Chiefs had to wait a lot longer than they did. They they had one in the 2000s, and our last one was in the 60s. So I'm glad we got that one last year, and we're trying to run it back. And uh, that train runs through Tampa Bay, and uh, we're going to come ready to rock. And um, interesting note, just uh, bringing up Tampa Bay, uh, Super Bowl 35 back in 2001, uh, you guys sang the national anthem. Can you, can you uh, like let us know a little, some memories from that moment? Yeah, sure. So we were on the Black and Blue Tour. Uh, we were on the road full-time on tour all the way up until like a couple days. Luckily, we had a time slot there. Um where we could go to the Super Bowl and sing the anthem. Uh, we were offered, initially we were offered, hey, are you guys interested in performing uh, at halftime? And at that time, the halftime performances were were an attraction, but kind of not really. They, they hadn't developed into the spectacle that they are now. Um, and so I was like, guys, I hear me out on this. At this time, a lot of people during the halftime at Super Bowls, they would watch the Bud Bowl or they would just, you know, everybody's going to eat and get their drinks and whatever, and nobody's really watching the halftime on television. I was like, we could get more visibility if we sang the anthem. Because everybody's watching the kickoff, everybody's sitting down to why everybody. So we ended up requesting, "Hey, could we sing the anthem?" And they said, "Sure." So I just remember being excited because, you know, when you're performing on on a stage like that, I would rather get it 
done and out of the way so we can watch and enjoy the game. That was my logic. Um, and so I remember I had my mom and my brothers come down and my brother-in-law and sister-in-law came down um, and they, uh, my family said we, they provided uh, the group with, with a box to watch the game and I watched it with my mom and my brother and my family and it, we went out there and we sang the anthem. We're very proud and honored to do that. And, uh, yeah, and the Ravens ended up destroying. It wasn't even a game, the Giants. Oh yeah, I remember that one. That was uh, <laughs> that was pretty one-sided. And then immediately the next day, we flew out and we're back on tour. Wow, that that is amazing. And I do want to get one more Super Bowl memory. This one is uh, pretty recent uh, for Super Bowl Fifty Three. You got you guys were involved in a collaboration with Chance the Rapper for a Doritos commercial that got huge praise from everyone that watched it. How did that even come together? That was really cool. Chance is a phenomenal talent. Um, I just love everything he does. Uh, And we got, see, I'm trying to remember. Management said, hey, guys, um, Doritos reached out to us, wanted to know if we're interested in doing a collaboration with Chance the Rapper um, for a Doritos commercial for the Super Bowl. And we're like, a Super Bowl commercial? Are you kidding me? Absolutely. I love Super Bowl commercials. They're, I mean, that's half the fun, watching all the crazy, funny, (laughs) neat things that people come up with for their ads that they're paying, I don't know, a million dollars a second (laughs) for their their ad campaign. So um, they're like, like, uh, there's a couple of other artists that they're considering as well so we'll let you guys know and then uh they're like chance is excited to do this collab with you guys uh here's the treatment uh what do you guys think and we made a couple tweaks here and there to like beef it up and make it even even more uh, fun and outlandish and chance did the remix on our song he produced it and and did it and then uh we went in and one day and shot it, and we had a lot of fun. And uh, Chance is an amazing, talented young man, and uh, yeah, it was a blast. And we were honored to do that as well. So it's been pretty cool that we've been able to participate in some Super Bowls in the in the past, like we have. Oh, definitely, you guys are uh, you guys are icons. So it was uh, it was great to see you in that commercial, which is already a classic. And um, before I let you go, uh, I have to ask now, uh, I'm assuming you're taking the Chiefs, but uh, what is your final score prediction for Super Bowl 55? Wow. I'm going to go 28-17. 28-17. Okay, I like that. That works. I I like that. I can see see it going 28-17. Kevin, thank you once again for uh, taking the time. Um, like I said, I grew up in a house where my sister's a huge Backstreet Boys fan as well, and I heard the music all the time, so I, it's, like I said, this is an honor to be able to speak with you, and I really appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate you reaching out, brother. Are you rooting for the Chiefs? <laughs> yes, I am. 
everyone at Chiefs Wire, we'd like to thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Make sure to follow us on social media at Chiefs Wire for more information. I'm Ed Easton Jr. Check us out next time.